This is the Off the Charts Business Podcast for multi-passionate entrepreneurs. Here, you'll learn how to design a scalable business so you can spend more time outside, away from the screen, through actionable ideas, real-world examples, and pep talks from your host, that's me, Natalie Lucier, founder of Access Ally. Welcome back to another episode of the Off the Charts Business Podcast. I'm here today with Alice Draper, and she is a podcast publicist who is on a mission to make publicity easy and accessible for underrecognized women entrepreneurs at all stages of their business. She has been running Hustling Writers for over two years, and in this time, she has secured her clients in over 500 podcasts, including countless top 1% and 0.5% percent podcast. And you can obviously find out more about her at her website and I'll put all the links in the description for this episode. So welcome Alice. Thank you, Natalie. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. We've been engaging on LinkedIn, so it's exciting to finally connect. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So I think one of the things that I love about you is your ability to do storytelling and tap into your own stories, your clients' stories. So in this kind of spirit, can you tell us a little bit Mm. about the story that got you to where you are today and what you're doing in your business? Yeah. So I'm a writer. So that's from the storytelling vein. Always knew. I feel like I always knew that. I'm sure there was a time I didn't because I couldn't always write. (laughs) But yeah, so I started out in the kind of freelance journalism space and I was pitching myself and anyone who's in freelance journalism space knows it's a very unpredictable space. Sometimes you get paid months down the line. So to create some stability, I started doing copywriting work and two things. I kind of realized as a copywriter that if I'm published in well reputable publications, I can brand myself as a more kind of, yeah, I can brand myself as more of an authority in the space. And yeah, so, so there was that and I started working with clients in the coaching niche. And then because I was also already pitching myself, they asked me to pitch them. So that was in 2020. And so I started pitching my copywriting clients and then I stopped being a copywriter. And I realized this, I started getting referred out for the PR stuff. And that was the stuff I was, everyone spoke about and seemed to be most excited about. So I pivoted the whole business to be focused on publicity. And I realized, you know, pitching is out of a lot of people's comfort zones. And I think the, from the freelance journalism space, I had to really normalize the rejections and really get comfortable with, yeah, like not having instant wins and, and developing a good story and developing a good pitch. And I spent so long trying to learn that for myself, that it came fairly easily at that point for other people. So it was like natural transition. And yeah, that's kind of, I love that it pretty much evolved organically out of a skill that you had developed for a slightly different, you know, purpose, but ended up being perfect for the clients that came your way. And obviously it's still writing, pitching is still writing, Mm -hmm. but it's in a different kind of goal-oriented way, I guess, as opposed to maybe conversions for like a sale or something. So can you tell us, yeah, a little bit about how having a clear sense of values in business can help us deal with some of those rejections? Because I feel like, you know, Mm. a lot comes up when we get rejected when we're pitching. So can you talk about that a little bit? 
Oh, I love this question. I actually wrote about it in a newsletter recently. Interesting. So I think that when we don't have values that anchor us, the rejections can feel, I don't know, they can set us off course more easily. And I say that because I think if I look back at my personal life, I knew that I loved writing. I knew I wanted a career in writing. And being young, 16, 17, 18 years old, I like avidly researched writers I knew. If Even if I knew them through someone five steps away from me, I researched them and I knew like, I want this. And, you know, being realistic about the industry, I knew that I was going to get rejected. That's what everyone told me. They said, you will face rejections. So when I got rejected in my writing career, it stung in the beginning, but it got easier over time. But it didn't set me off course. It wasn't like, oh my gosh, I'm having an identity crisis. What am I going to do? And I think that's because I valued writing. And so what what, what I kind of bring it brought up in the story that I wrote in my newsletter a few weeks ago was that in my personal life, I struggled with rejections. And I think that's because I kind of struggled with my own internal values and I associated my values based on how people felt about me. So if I was liked, you know, the good old people teaser, that means I'm worthy. And so a rejection would just be like, oh, I'm worthless. Like, (laughs) who am I in this world? And so I think it really, I like this analogy for business because I think if we're not clear on kind of what the business values are, whether that's social justice or, you know, whatever you're kind of working towards, if you're not crystal clear on those values, then the, the smallest no or a big no can set you off course a lot more easily, I think, than if you know, you know, I'm wor- this is this is the goal, this is what I'm working towards. And this is just an obstacle in the way and we're going to work through that. And that doesn't mean that rejections aren't hard. It doesn't mean it doesn't hurt, especially when you could see something like happening out of this, especially when there's potential. It's different hurting versus being like, why am I even doing this and should I give up? And so I think getting clear on our values is really important when it comes to putting ourselves out there and dealing with the world of rejections that will come when we put ourselves out there. Yeah. So another thing, like we've all experienced rejections and I like that you brought the personal side up because yeah, we experience rejections in real life for a bunch of different things. Right. And when it comes to business, sometimes, yeah, we let it also as in, you know, regular lives Mm -hmm. affect how we think of ourselves. And, you know, we associate sometimes too much with our businesses, right? Where we think Mm -hmm. like my self-worth is tied to my business. So if my business is rejected for a client or, you know, a a podcast pitch or a guest post or anything, then we start to think, oh no, that reflects on me directly. And I like to think that, you know, our business is an entity that we Mm -hmm. essentially work for and support and also supports us likewise. So we need to have like healthy boundaries a bit around that too. So I like that you brought that up to recognize for people when they're facing rejection. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the boundaries is a big part as well. And I think that's why I always say, you know, systematize your process of putting yourself out there, put it into a spreadsheet, make it, you know, I'm sending this many outreaches, this many follow-ups because when we get overly personal about it and it's like, 
I'm sitting down to email Natalie because she's like my good friend and I really want this yes, then it can hit so much harder than if it's like, okay, this is, that doesn't mean skip out the personalizing. Of course you want to make it personal and warm, but it shouldn't feel like you're writing a letter to your lover because like it's just that's not how business works we we get more no's than yeses and especially in like the kind of outreach space now we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back did you know access ally is the most flexible way to sell and elegantly deliver digital offerings as your business grows all in one place on wordpress you can create online courses, memberships, directories, and communities, and even sell team access, all on your terms. Go to accessli.com to get a demo and see why it's the business scaling solution you've been looking for. Yeah, so I love that you have you brought up the spreadsheet. That's definitely something I've done in the past too, is just here's a list. It's one of many, right? So if it's a no, it's fine. And you actually go a little bit beyond that where you like to gamify and Mm. set rejection goals. So can you talk a little bit about that concept? Yeah. So actually I started talking about rejection goals quite a bit because someone asked me, I was in a group coaching program, like beginning of this year and rejection came up and it was such a big block for everyone and getting their offers out there. And someone started crying during that call. And then I had a one-on-one coaching call afterwards. And she asked me, how did you get comfortable with rejections? Because you must get a lot of them and you must help clients get them. You know, what, what was, what was a part of that? And there are, there are a bunch of things. I think this community isn't a part of it, but another one is I really recognized the fact that setting a rejection goal and gamifying the process helped me depersonalize the process and focus on output rather than getting those wins and letting those dictate whether this idea is worth it or not. So yeah, that was back in my freelance journalism days. I came across a Facebook group where a whole bunch of freelance journalists focused on getting rejections. And that was the whole, the group was called that had a name rejects was in the name and people would post and I was really young and newbie and these veteran journalists would post that they just got rejected from the Paris Review or the New Yorker and that just totally shifted my mindset so I was like these people who have so many more years on me and have all these bylines under their belt are getting excited about rejections and they all had this rejection goal. So this spreadsheet circulated, which was to set a goal of a hundred rejections for the year. It was based off of an article on the site called LitHub. I can send the link if you want to link it. It's very old now, but I think it's still interesting. And so I set myself a rejection goal and that's how I got my first bylines was that rejection goal. It was like, I stopped letting, you know, each pitch have a whole bunch of meaning. And I started focusing on getting my pitches out there. Okay, this one's rejected. Let's see how I can repurpose it, send it to a different editor. What? I mean, also the value of a spreadsheet is is you're not doing this without strategy. When you look at the spreadsheet and you see like, okay, the story about, I don't know, friendships and dating just hasn't landed. I've sent it to 20 editors, it hasn't landed, but these stories have landed. So maybe 
talking about these specific topics seems to do better in the media or what themes can I notice in the stories that have landed? So I don't say set a rejection goal and ignore the strategy. It's more like, how can you even develop a strategy if you're not getting those pitches out there in the first place because your first pitches aren't getting accepted? Yeah, I love the strategy piece of that too, because first of all, it gives you the freedom to experiment, right? And track Mm -hmm. how it's going and see, you know, what can I tweak? What can I improve? And at the same time, you know that you're learning with each pitch. So it's not wasted, even though it feels like, oh, there's a sting Mm -hmm. each time you rejected. But I love how just flipping it on its head and saying, hey, if we can get 100 rejections, which I like, that's a wild number, (laughs) right? Then you're pretty much guaranteed to land something, right? And I think that is a great approach that will hopefully get people kind of off the the ledge of of trying. Yeah. And if a hundred feels overwhelming, try reverse engineer it to like a month because in a hundred you're getting less than 10 rejections a month, which means, you know, if you've got a 50% acceptance rate, which is incredibly high in journalism, I don't know if people get 50% acceptance rates, you know, you're aiming for like 15 pitches a month or 15 to 20 pitches a month, which it's doable. That I don't think it's good, like something you can't do. Absolutely. Yeah, that's the kind of thing that is definitely doable. And I like what you also mentioned earlier about systematizing the process. So you're not just staring at a blank screen each time and mm-hmm. you have your list of places that you know you want to be guest on or interviewed or published or, or whatever your goals are for the different outlets. So do you have anything around community support. I know you brought that up a little bit. So what do you think people can do alongside with setting these goals and systematizing the process to make it easier for them to get into action around this? Mm, I love that question. I think that without community, the rejection process can feel harder because it can feel isolating and shameful when you're just hearing no. And so when I mentioned that Facebook group, that big light bulb moment was like, oh, other people get this, not just other people, but people who are more experienced than me and have been in this for far longer than I have. So yeah, I think doing it alone just makes it a bit harder. So when you, if you're thinking of pitching yourself and you want to build a community, it can be as simple as finding a friend who also wants to pitch themselves and setting up like monthly co-working dates. Because in between those co-working sessions, you can be like, oh, I just got another rejection. And they're like, yeah, me too. And then you celebrate your wins or you share ideas, improve the strategy, or they just got accepted and they share their spreadsheet and show you like what they did to get accepted, which helps you improve your pitches. So yeah, I think finding people who are doing what you're doing and then yeah above that like you can be more organized i have a program that comes with like a slack community but you can set up your own community if you have a lot of people interested but i think in the entrepreneurial space we'll find that a big part of being an entrepreneur is putting ourselves out there not necessarily just to podcasts or publications but also through sales you know being an entrepreneur is a lot of outreach so i'm certain that there are countless communities out there where people talk about this. And I've found just in my own content creation that my posts about rejection get so much more eyeballs and traction than my other posts, because I think that people are relieved to see this topic spoken about. And it's a relatable experience that 
all of us have been through, but it can be easy, I think, on social media to just focus on our highlight reels and ignore all the all the no's that kind of <laughs> are happening behind the scenes. Yeah, thank you so much for bringing that up. I think it, it is such a refreshing thing when you can see someone dealing with, you know, real life situations that aren't, you know, super polished and always, you know, perfect and figured out. And I have the solution to all the problems, right? Mm. Um, so that's really helpful. And another thing that we've been talking about is rejections and kind of getting rejections. But what about when you don't hear back? What mm. do you do? Because they feel like that's sort of like this limbo state where you're like, how many times should I follow up? Am I pestering this person? Did it just disappear into the abyss? What should you do when you're not getting a rejection, but you're not getting anything? <laughs> mm, that's a good question. I kind of count those as rejections after enough time passes. <laughs> so I do two follow-ups, one week apart. And the last follow-up is just checking in one last time. There are people in PR and in, who do many more follow-ups, but I feel like when as a receiver, more than two follow-ups feels a little bit like... I, look, I got it and I, it's a no, you know, people's inboxes are inundated and I don't expect everyone to respond. And I don't think it's fair to expect that of people. So I think two follow-ups is a good indication that they got it as many acceptances come from the follow-ups. So those follow-ups are really important, but then also the spacing. I advise at least a week apart it can be even longer apart but following up with like a podcast host the next day is also a little bit <laughs> incessant when they're busy and you know it's not that they haven't had a chance to see those emails that they actually have a lot else on their plate that's more urgent so yeah so with the with the kind of dealing with being ghosted i guess my advice is put yourself in the other person's shoes because Chances are you probably get a lot of cold outreach and chances are you don't respond to a lot of it. And when we personalize it, and I'm guilty of this too, I think, oh, they think I'm an idiot. They think I sent the stupidest idea ever to them and they're so annoyed and so angry. But put, when you kind of put yourself in the other person's shoes, either they looked at it, thought that looks mildly interesting and then forgot to respond well, that looks interesting and forgot to respond or no, that's not a fit and forgot to respond or like th there's very rarely like a angry reaction unless you said something offensive or your pitch really sucks, which even if it sucks, they won't remember you because like, I don't know about you, Natalie, but do you remember the people who sent you like pictures that are just like, Hey, Natalie, can I be on your show? This is me, blah, blah, blah. You kind of scan over it and you're like, no, like that's, you didn't even listen to my show. You don't know what my show is about, but it's rare to remember that person unless they said something really offensive, which I doubt people are doing. So I that's what I kind of try and remind myself is like, I don't take notice of it. It's noise. So I don't know if that's helpful, but no one's looking at you and thinking you're an idiot or they're all going to remember you. Many of my clients have been accepted on podcasts that were only pitched you, like that were pitched, rejected from, pitched again, rejected from, pitched again, and then finally accepted. Sometimes they remember and they were actually good outreaches and that's why they accepted because it just wasn't a fit or like the timing wasn't right or their schedule was full. Other times they didn't even remember that this client pitched them. They were just like, yeah, this is, this is a good fit. Let's, let's have you on. 
I'm so glad you brought that up because yes, I think sometimes we think like, oh, I was rejected. I should never pitch myself to this same <laughs> place, right? And what are the stories we make up in our heads about that? I feel like that's kind of a silly thing because like you said, it could just be timing. You know, they're currently booked out for the rest of the year or the next six months or whatnot. And I think that that is such a great perspective to put yourself in the shoes of the people who are yeah. doing education or the podcast. Yeah, and I think something that's quite important to podcast hosts is that you listen to their show. And if you have reached out to them in a like respectful way, or you know, if your pitch sucked a year ago and now you're sending them this excellent pitch, even if they remember, it's like this is someone that's truly engaged with my content, and you know, I've can see that this is a quality idea that I'd like to have on now, even though I didn't a year ago. I say, you know, especially if hosts are sending you warm rejections, I always talk about those as like a door left ajar, that that's still, there's still potential there, more potential than reaching out to someone who you haven't established any connection with. It's not like a, or oh, I never want to hear you again, unless they explicitly say that, which can happen. But <laughs> That's so, yeah, that's such a great point. And so you mentioned, you know, obviously, People who have a podcast want people who are listeners or who know their brand and understand kind of their goals with their podcast. So can you tell us, do you have any recommendations for doing research about podcasts? Maybe it is, you know, just a natural podcast you already listen to, but sometimes, you know, mm -hmm. you want to like expand your, your horizons a little bit and do some research for new podcasts or new places to get featured on. Yeah. So like you said, if you listen to a show and you know that it's perfect for their audience's the exact audience you want to get in front of, of course, reach out to them because you know the host, you know the show, you know what kind of content they're looking for. But like you said, Natalie, I think many people would want to actually expand their audience. So my recommendation would be write up a list of people who you admire, who are like a couple steps ahead of you in business. And by that, I mean, they maybe have a slightly bigger audience than you, or they are earning more revenue than you or they're more widely known in your space it may not they may not do the exact same thing as you but they have a similar audience to you that's the most important thing and then pop their name into either listennotes.com or apple podcasts and see where they're speaking and then you can draw up a list of podcasts because you know for example if you are a career coach and you're researching someone who you really look up to in the career coaching space who, you know, maybe you have 4,000 LinkedIn followers and they've got 40,000. They're likely been on a lot more podcasts than you have, but they're also likely speaking to professionals who you would also like to be speaking to. So I recommend that. And when deciding on how big of an audience they should have, I say like not Brene Brown level because Brene Brown's on huge shows that you're probably going to struggle to get on. Sure, pitch them, but you may not get those easy wins. But like, yeah, when you if you find that person, if you reach out to them on LinkedIn, I'd say you probably have like a 50-50 chance that they'll respond. So it's not like there's no chance they would respond, but also they have a fairly big platform and you're not 100% sure if they will get to your message or not. I like that. I like that you said these goals where it's like not guaranteed, right? Because that again kind of goes to being comfortable with the rejection because you're you're kind of pushing outside your comfort zone a little bit. It's not like an exact peer who's kind of at the same spot as 
as you are so they can kind of help you grow. And it sounds like your strategy, which I love, is to kind of follow in their footsteps a little bit or kind of their tailwinds, right? And as they're kind of finding shows that are a good fit, you can kind of you know, follow them and find good shows that might be a good fit for you as well. So I love that strategy. At this point, Alice and I talked about different ways of actually getting out there and really pitching yourself. And one of the things that came up after we hung up our conversation is why some women are less likely to pitch themselves than men. At this point in the conversation, Alice and I were talking about how you can actually prepare your pitches and have them pre-written, but also make sure that they're not so stale that when you're reusing them, it feels like you just copy and pasted. Really listening to a few episodes and inserting some of the highlights that you found from the show and what makes it special in your unique viewpoint into your pitch while also talking about the benefits that you would bring to their show is a great way to go. Now, after we hung up for this interview, something else came up. And that is that sometimes it can be really hard for women to pitch themselves. And what she said is that it's easy, or at least it seems easy for men to pitch themselves. And this is the theory that she shared with me. And that is that pitching is tough because rejection is almost guaranteed and that us women are not used to that. Why? Because society never prepares us. And she's saying in a heterosexual dating context, men are typically the Men are typically the pursuer who have to deal with rejection. In the workplace, failure is more normalized for men too. And research also shows that social rejection is riskier for women and marginalized groups. So our bodies as women are literally screaming, no, this could ruin everything. This is not a good idea. Don't put yourself out there. Don't ask to be on this podcast. If they say no, it's too dangerous. And when we listen to our bodies, we stay small and allow a less competent but louder person to grab these opportunities. So taking action requires a both and approach. You can both acknowledge that there are systemic risks. You can both acknowledge that there are systemic risks attached to rejection and decide to use the agency you have to take action. So I really like this question that she asked. Is there real reputational damage attached to this cold outreach? Does a potential rejection pose psychological threats? And realistically, what is the worst outcome I could face? Can my business survive this outcome? And chances are it can because asking to be on a podcast is not the end of the world if you don't get a yes. You might pitch the same podcast with a different angle or a different topic at different times of the year and they might say yes to your second or third pitch depending on what they're looking for in terms of topics and guests at that time. So I think this is super helpful advice. I have fallen into this trap myself of thinking, oh, I need to have X, Y, and Z milestones or titles or things under my tool belt before I can actually pitch myself to a certain podcast or a certain opportunity or stage to speak on. So I 
I love this advice from Alice and uh, the rest of our podcast interview. So I love this whole concept of really just thinking about this. Is there really a true risk to putting yourself out there? And maybe it's just in our heads and maybe it's okay to put ourselves out there and experience rejection. That is not going to be the end of the world. So I love that everything... So I love everything that Alice shared with us in today's episode. If you want to go and find out more about her, head over to And if you're ready to start pitching yourself to high impact podcasts, go to hustlingwriters.com forward slash podcast dash pitch dash template and grab Alice's template there. All right. I hope you take this to heart. I hope you go out there and promote yourself if this is an avenue you want to do more of. And if not, there are other great avenues to promote yourself as well from writing to video or other formats that might be a better fit. But I think that podcasting is pretty awesome. So definitely give it a go. Want to keep growing your business on your terms? Then sign up for my free newsletter, The Momentum Memo. You'll get quick, actionable tips to gain momentum in your business every Tuesday. Head over to natalielussier.com forward slash memo to join over 6,000 other entrepreneurs scaling on their terms. Whether you're just getting started or have been running your business for a while, The Momentum Memo has something for you. 